What happens when we die? What the fuck happens? So what do you think? What happens when we die, Riley? What happens when we die? Everybody and welcome to the Fear Response Podcast. We're so glad to have you. Um, we're returning to our Midnight Mass mini-series with episode four, which is Lamentations. Yeah, we're back, baby, with we're, Lamentations. We're, we're back to lament. <laughs> yeah, as if, as if everyone doesn't get enough lamentation in their life, here we are with this episode. Yeah, in case you're lacking in sad stuff. How do you feel about episode four? I uh, really like it. I would say that about every episode in the series, but I do True. really like it. Yeah. And um, I feel like the horror elements are kind of cranked up, getting cranked up more and more every episode. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, as with any Mike Flanagan joint, there's plenty of mm-hmm. sad stuff too. It's not just scary. Don't forget, it's also sad. Yeah, it's a lot of difficult emotions. If this was a book, I would read it for sure. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of horror properties that work well as a book have a lot of heart, and definitely Stephen King mm-hmm. would be a good example. Yeah. He, he doesn't only write the horror elements. He kind of fleshes things out where there's a lot of schmaltziness or a lot of mm-hmm. kind of deep dives into the characters and things like that too, and I think Mike Flanagan kind of works along the same lines. Mm-hmm. And he has a, adapted Stephen King as well, and quite well in my opinion. Definitely a couple times. So this episode starts, yeah, does it start right in Sarah Gunning's office with Erin Green getting at her appointment? Um, And I think she's meant to be relatively far along because she's seen her baby doing things and they could tell it's gender. So she says, oh, don't, she's joking about it. Oh, don't tell me the gender. And that doesn't happen until at least 20 weeks, which is halfway through, halfway down your pregnancy. And they'd been talking about like fluttering and kicking. Have you been feeling yeah. these things, right? Mm-hmm. Because as Sarah is kind of doing her work, using at first a Doppler machine, she's really not picking up on anything and she's trying to remain calm, but it's pretty clear that she's not liking what mm. she's hearing or not hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they switch to an ultrasound and she shows her like, there's no baby there. Your uterus is mm. empty. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know like, because Aaron, it's really sad, but Aaron had on- almost been speaking to her like a girlfriend yeah they seem to be really chummy yeah yeah oh yeah you know i was expecting cravings but it's only been this and that and like you know all this stuff like kind of trying to share in the experience of pregnancy a bit with dr sarah Um, and that is that is the way it goes at those appointments you are like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know it's it's friendly and especially because with pregnancy it's so different from like unless you have a chronic illness or something and see your doctor regularly pregnancy is the only time that you're checking in every couple of weeks with your medical professional like that just doesn't happen unless you've got something going on otherwise right so it's like you do you chum around yeah yeah exactly and of course you're chatting about the baby what else are you gonna talk about right exactly and so it was just really sad and i think sarah probably felt a lot of pressure uh and, and a lot of kind of just feeling very kind of uh let down that she has to share this information with aaron right that there's no heartbeat, there's nothing in her uterus, and and then Aaron is saying, where's my baby? And interestingly, too, Sarah says that at that stage, right, had there been a miscarriage, it's not something that would go undetected. Like, Aaron would know 
It's not something that would just happen and your body just kind of keeps going like usual. It would be like impossible. It would be right. impossible not to not to notice because your baby is big enough that you can feel it kicking. That that's a, a sizable body. You there's yeah. no way. And and even when she says that earlier in pregnancy people lose their pregnancy without knowing, but mm -hmm. it's not that they don't know anything happened it's that they don't realize it was a pregnancy right like you still if you miscarry okay. even early you're mm -hmm. still bleeding but you you just think oh it's my period okay. so it's like they they maybe didn't realize it was a miscarriage but it's not that they thought nothing happened you know what i mean yeah yeah absolutely and she says you know if you had a, a miscarriage and felt some kind of trauma relating to that mm -hmm. and blocked, blocked it, out, it out you wouldn't be the first you know so what did you think about that I think that that's probably an oversimplification. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. I don't think that there would be many, if any, instances of someone completely, completely being amnesic to yeah, yeah, that I kind of you. thing. And as if it never happened. Like, I For could sure. imagine it being, like, um, inconsistent or being hazy as a memory or remembering bits and pieces or that kind of thing. But I can't mm -hmm. imagine it's just as if it was deleted. Mm -hmm. yeah i agree i i wouldn't if you're thinking of what's the most uh what's the most simplistic and most likely answer for what's going on here that's probably not it right but again sarah is a gp she's trying to support this adult who is telling her well you know we both knew i was pregnant and i'm telling you i didn't miscarry so mm -hmm. where is she to go with both of those they're they're kind of yeah. contradicting each other right yeah, and like, uh, what a horrible thing, like, where is my baby? Because at that point, it's just like grasping at straws because it's like, well, she knows that her pregnancy is, is over and yet she's trying to, I don't know, where, as if she could get her back. It's like she's yes. not, she's not oh. missing somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, or in future in this episode, she goes to get a second opinion almost to like maybe hopefully find out her baby's still there. You know, like that. It's just, it's a really sad thought on, on behalf of Aaron. And one thing that I have like speculated lots of times before is um, just about how isolating it must be to lose a pregnancy because when a child dies, that means something to a lot of people. Obviously, that means something to the other parent. That probably means something to the grandparents and friends and this and that. But when it's a pregnancy, it's the realist to the person carrying the baby. Because they're, they're the only one who can feel it. They're the only one who's been aware of it since, you know, the earliest stages. So I feel like it's almost, it could be isolating in that nobody experiences it quite the same way as you. And that's not to say that the other parent doesn't feel a loss too. But it would be, right. it would be very different because um, they haven't been on the same journey just because they haven't had that child within them. So I just feel mm -hmm. like... To that's isolating enough, and you you almost feel like, did that did, was I even pregnant? Did that even happen? It, I can imagine you having those kind of thoughts, and it would be even more so when literally your baby just vanished from your womb. Yeah, right. Exactly. Where Aaron would be like, well, I guess I miscarried, but it's yeah, more like an abduction or something. Yeah, exactly. It would be so confusing, right? And probably. Um, you know, quote unquote, crazy making for her. That's yes, because that's what she's I like, think. what the hell could possibly be going on, right? Mm -hmm. 
the only good thing is that she would have Sarah who did the ultrasounds herself. Yes, I and know. Is totally aware there was a baby. Right? Yes. Yeah. Wow. And so another thing we see is Bev. Uh, we cut to a scene where Bev is kind of doctoring the sign outside of the church to say mass canceled today. Mm. Yes, because she's aware that uh, Father Paul is a little bit under the weather after having died. <laughs> yeah. And and she so she cancels the mass. They always have to use one number as a letter, right? They use like a four as an A. As an A, yeah. And then she's in Father Paul's little domicile. And she's kind of, <laughs> she's looking at the picture from uh, uh, of Monsignor Pruitt from so long ago. And she's saying, isn't it amazing that basically, you know, she knows that he is Monsignor Pruitt. And kind of she's speculating about that. Talking to Sturge, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that's right. Because Sturge was also looking at it. And she's kind of saying, oh, you know, how's he been? And Sturge <laughs> basically says, like, me and Wade were too scared to go close to him. <laughs> and she's like, scared? <laughs> yeah. She's offended by the idea. I know. I think she's, she's like, just hook, line, and sinker on this whole thing. And she's like, oh, well, miracles at play, more miracles, basically. Mm-hmm. It's a miracle that this man came back to life in front of me and foamed at the mouth and then she only looks at the one side of it not that like well isn't it kind of scary and bad that he just fell down dead it's like well no because he came back to life so why did he fall down dead why did he die my thinking was that that was his full conversion into a vampire so would that have happened to everybody in the town given long enough they all would have gotten better 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 and then died because you know how their like health is improving yeah. overall. That's a great question. It could be. It could also be because one of the big issues with this one is that he's like run out of the blood, right? He hasn't seen the guardian angel in a while, and he doesn't have the reserves of its blood that he had mm. before. So okay. it could be one of the big things about. And and as Bev goes in to see him in his room, he says that he's starving. And she brings him some, like, ginger chicken soup, well, basically. Well, yeah, but he says that because he's full vampire now, so he's starving yes. for blood. Exactly, exactly. So I'm not sure if that's the reason he died or not. You know all the, like, belly-hurting sounds? I hate <laughs> yeah. them. I hate the sounds. <laughs> they sound like an upset stomach. They sound it totally like does. A, but, like, stylized, but I'm like, ugh, it just makes me think of, like, diarrhea. <laughs> It does sound like something loose is going to come out yeah, either side like, of Father Paul. <laughs> it's like the opposite of ASMR. So, yeah, it's, it makes my skin crawl. So, yeah, so Bev goes to offer him some soup and obviously, and she's so pushy even with him. She's such a pain. I think you'll, she's basically saying, I think you'll be good to go by tomorrow's mass if you eat and is standing there trying to like watch him do it and like compel him to eat it. And then he kind of uh, brings her over to say that he actually doesn't want Dr. Gunning called because he feels like it's a matter of faith. And, oh, you're mm-hmm. so you're so faithful yourself and, and kind of um, complimenting her on her own faith. And Yeah, I, I think she was having some kind of she was having some feelings when that was happening. And it was uncomfortable for me to watch. <laughs> she was having some feelings because she's she's like, oh, finally, someone's realizing just how wonderful I am and. But she's trying to be modest because she knows that that's what's appropriate, but she's not modest. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm so blessed for you noticing. <laughs> I'm sure we all are. Oh, shucks. Yeah. 
<laughs> but then he says, uh, he says because of that, he wants to confide something in her. He like sits her down. Mm. I'm like, oh man. And mm. I think she was loving it, <laughs> right? Says he feels God moving inside him. And she's like hanging on his every word. And then he does say to her, I think I need to be left alone all day to pray. And she's like, hmm, oh, well. Hmm. And then she's like, oh, yeah, Wade and Dolly are going to keep their mouths shut, basically. And so will Sturge, <laughs> because I'll make him, more or less, is what <laughs> what I understood. Crime boss all of a sudden. Yeah, she definitely. But another thing that she was doing, too, she was comparing him to people in the Bible having died and come back, including Lazarus, and also including Jesus. She's like, it took Jesus three days to come back. It's like, look at you. It took you like three minutes. Man, you're better than Jesus. <laughs> oh, I thought that was so funny. Yeah, so he does tell her he wants to be left alone. Um, he, he figures he needs to pray. As, and she does say, like, listen, I think, I think everyone will keep quiet about this, basically. Mm -hmm. But I think you should share. You know, I yeah. think people need to know. I think you should be telling people. Number one, it's like it's going to be impactful to the people that were there. The people he's just telling hey, by the way, yesterday I died and came back to life. And they're like, oh, okay. Okay, Paul, we barely know you. <laughs> like, he'd, he'd need some support with that, I think. And then he uh, sticks his hand into the uh, beam of light. And it blisters his skin. So this is so cool. Like, we're going full vampire. Yeah. Um, do you think that you would want to be a vampire? No. Any part of you? No, me either. <laughs> Either. No, I think even being immortal would be terrible. Yeah, that's like the only thing good about it. That and I guess like being stronger and maybe being extra sexy. Okay, yeah, some of the some of the vampires in vampire lore are like irresistibly beautiful. Like that that could be good for anybody. Yeah. But then also it's like, yeah, being immortal would be terrible. What am, am I going to go to work for 5,000 years? No, and then it's like, like I don't okay. I want to do that. Or else what do you do? What do you do with your time? To be fair, the vampires in most fictional works are like crazy rich. Yeah, they're like aristocratic. <laughs> they like invested in the wheel when it was invented yeah. or something, and they're still yeah. seeing the benefits of that. But, but then, that's true. <laughs> and then you can't like do anything fun. You got to only do, I don't want to only go to nightclubs or anything. Like You want to go to day clubs, exactly. No, I know what you mean. <laughs> I want to go to day clubs only yeah like no mimosa brunches for for vampires i don't think so no then and depending on the lore you're looking at they would just puke it up anyway I'm trying to think of a, of a monster i'd prefer but there's probably no answer oh a monster you'd rather be i mean it yeah, would like be, a classic it would be fine to be a werewolf like i wouldn't be like oh yes please make hmm. me a werewolf but it would be fine yeah but we wouldn't see any benefit i think it'd be cool to run around like a critter though run around like an animal with like animal strength and like a resistible bloodthirst, that would be too bad. Well, but like if you, what if you were just like in the woods, which we've got access to woods. So then it's yeah, like. Yeah, and I just like preyed on animals. Yeah, you just like eat a deer. That would be fine, but it's still just a, like being a werewolf is a problem to solve. It's not good for anyone. No, right? but that's, that's probably the one I would most like to be. Because what, what else are we talking about? Like a mummy, so you're dead? <laughs> or a vampire? Okay. Or Frankenstein's monster? Like, what are the classic monsters we're talking about? <laughs> what was the mummy called in The Mummy? It wasn't Anox and the Moon. That was his No, that his was his girlfriend. Girl. Um, he is uh, Imhotep. 
Imhotep. Yeah, he was able to restore himself to be basically a human. Yep, yep. He, he so if was. I wasn't a decaying body, you know, but again, it's not really, it doesn't really have any advantages. We cut to a scene with Riley helping his dad on the boat, which I was encouraged oh. by because I was like, hey, he's getting out there. His yeah. dad is willing to accept his help on the boat. And he does say, well, you know, thanks for helping out, Riley, which is so like, that's the nicest that, that he's been, that Ed's yeah. been to Riley the whole time. And he says, yeah, no problem, but seems like you barely need it. Because yeah. Ed's moving around He's like a young man so again. Better. I am interested to hear your perspective on um, this apology from Riley's dad. What do you think of it? Yeah, so that's what happens. He he says that he was encouraged by Father Paul after giving confession, basically to bear his soul to Riley. So it's what he's willing to do. He said, I want to talk just us, right? Man to man. Um, he I, he told me I should share with you. I've ha- I've harbored resentment towards you and he says he resented him for feeling like he was better than the island he resented him for going off and doing this job in this space that ed could never understand because he was just some blue collar guy uh riley basically says well you know i tried to explain to you about the internet and startups and all this stuff and ed probably was kind of overwhelmed by that um and then he also says and then we resented you know you hurt someone you killed someone the legal fees and now the cost of you living with us which i thought had to be relatively small it can't be that much he's only eating you know what i'm saying yeah but anyway about the apology it felt it felt like ed was being truly honest and brave to do that it felt like it was more to the benefit of ed than to the benefit of Riley. So I did come off as feeling pretty sad for Riley. Like, I think it made Riley feel like he was, uh, you know, an inch tall and he felt horrible. And he's like, he knew all these things already, but it just makes everything seem so much worse for him, even though it was already so bad. I think it's a horrible apology. I don't think, I don't think that Ed actually did any soul searching to do it. Because he doesn't actually take ownership of anything that he did. He says, well, I I guess I must not have been a great parent because you turned out so, so shitty. And your yeah, mom is so that's great. That's a good point. He did he say that. He doesn't take any ownership over himself. He, even the fact that uh, Riley says, I tried to tell you about my work and you didn't want to hear it. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. He doesn't own that. It's so underhanded. I hate it. I, th- I think it's terrible. And especially as a parent. It, when it's, you know, the whole like, be the bigger person in mm-hmm. in interactions with uh you know friends and that kind of thing it, it should go in turns sometimes one person's the bigger person sometimes the other but i feel like when you're the parent you should be the bigger person because for most of your relationship you were that person was a child the other person was a child or a teenager or whatever mm-hmm. i hate i yeah. hated this i think is i think is a horrible veiled insults that he should have put a lot more thought in Mm. before he did it because he said i resent it i had resentment in my heart it's like oh yeah what what a fucking confession i had resentment in my heart because you're just such a crappy guy and i guess that's my problem for having that resentment in my heart but he's just he's still blaming (laughs) riley for everything i think it's i think it's awful and what it comes down to for that that beginning part before riley's mistake but the beginning part is just that you guys are different you as a parent That's and a true. child are different. That's not Riley's fault. So it's not. And I think that I think for Ed, like I think Ed's a simple guy. Yeah. And he probably looks at Riley's accident as a direct 
result of like leaving the island going to live some fancy life that's all about money and all this stuff which you know it's probably wrapped up in ed's kind of naivete about what riley was even doing another thing about ed's apology i agree with everything you said i thought it was kind of empty and it was mostly about like just kind of still scapegoating riley in a really bad way but Ed had to work himself up to even talk about this stuff because he just mm-hmm. wants to bury it. But he does one highlight. He does say, you know, I love you and I have a hard time showing that, but I do. You know what I mean? So it's like still essentially almost the bare minimum, but he does give Riley hopefully something he can kind of hold on to. Because if you were to just observe Ed in terms of the way he behaves around Riley and the things he says, like you're not going to necessarily get that impression that he really does love Riley. And maybe Riley would be concerned about that too. But even still, I feel like he kind of uh, tripped at the finish line because he says, Mm -hmm. I have a hard time showing it when you're here. And that just makes it sound like I wish you weren't here. I I have an easier time loving you from afar. Like if he just said I have a hard time showing it, that would be fine. Yes. But he says, I have a hard time showing it when you're here. And, like, how is Riley Riley supposed to feel about this? He's like, okay. Because he's just like, okay, headcanon confirmed my dad hates me. <laughs> like, he's like, now I just know that he does resent me and doesn't think I'm yeah. worth anything. And, okay, great. And you're right. Most of that was not Riley's fault. And the no. things that were, he didn't do it to bother his father, you know? No, and the things that were his fault, killing a person in a drunk driving mm-hmm. accident... Nobody feels worse about that than Riley, and he's done everything he can since to own it. He doesn't try to make excuses for it. Like, the opposite. If someone tries to make excuses to him, he says, no. Even when he was talking to Father Paul and says, my feet didn't touch the brakes. You know, he doesn't doesn't sugarcoat any of it. And I mean, maybe this is, I don't want to say too generous, because maybe it's never something to be too generous. But, like, Mm -hmm. Eric needs to just get off Riley's back about it. Because he's done his time and he knows and he's not minimizing it and he punishes himself. <laughs> and, and I think that that's fine. Not to say that people should say, oh, you're an amazing guy who has never done anything wrong. But anyway, I thought no, that this was I a horrible, you. I thought this was a horrible apology. And it makes me think ill of his dad. I think just sounds like you weren't a great dad. Oh. Yeah, that's sad to think because I do feel bad for Ed in some ways too. But sure, I'm not saying Ed's a bad guy or a bad person, but yeah. it sa- it sounds like he was not a great dad because if you can't if you can't find a way to at least try to love and understand your child, then I don't mm-hmm. I think that that's bare minimum as a parent. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. It seems like he didn't try that hard to understand him didn't find a way to express his love because it doesn't have to be right there's different ways to do it and it sounds like he couldn't Mm -hmm. find even one and like that's just not okay yeah you're right don't think he's a good dad sorry ed bad dad we'll use the soundboard and go like was a a bad sound (laughs) or like the audience booing (laughs) or like (laughs) get a cat hiss yeah, I agree. I just, the boat scene was altogether disheartening and it just made Riley feel terrible and he was already feeling bad enough. So it, it was not effective by Ed. <laughs> but then even like he wasn't even going to say anything and Father Paul's like, well, maybe you should. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, good talk. And like pats him on the shoulder or whatever. And Riley's like, oh. 
Riley like wants to die exactly. Oh jeez, poor Riley. Riley's having a heavy um, day. Cuz then he he does go yeah. and hang out with Aaron later. And it's probably like 5 in the morning catching yeah, like, catching uh, lobsters or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we get a scene too where Sarah it, this is really cool. So Sarah's mom comes in. They share her name. Do you remember what it is? Mildred. Yes. Okay, Sarah's mom Mildred comes into the room and it it well this is another thing okay perfect name for a grandma yeah can you imagine having a little like baby named mildred little baby mildred or like a 14 year old if you called her millie then yes okay yeah fair enough it's just like some of those names are of such a time that i only picture them as being the name of a grandmother right but then one day one day like lexus and Brittany and tiffany and well i guess tiffany is is an old one but Names like that will be like that for other people. Do you know that Tiffany is like Shakespeare old? I I think you might have told me I recently, told that. and that's why it, it cued me. But like, okay, this is Braden, my grand, my great grandfather. My great grandfather. <laughs> and is, isn't it <laughs> you know interesting I mean? though that other names are like evergreen? Because like Sarah is in the Bible. Yeah, it's always around. That's yeah. for sure. And it doesn't yeah, sound like right. an old lady. No, no. It's just like, it's just a generational thing and it'll all come new again, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but Mildred comes into the room and Sarah is quizzing her, right, to see what she remembers. So, oh, what did you have to use? What did you, um, what did you used to do for chores when you were a kid? She says, well, I had to keep the house clean. I had to do the dishes. She's asking all these questions. And then she said, what did you do when you were a teenager? And she's like, I went to the uppers for booze and boys. And she says to her, what was my father's name? And that's the only question that she stumbles over. And, and, but she comes up with the answer, right? Mm -hmm. And it's her doing her best with the old lady voice, but it's too much. <laughs> it's becoming clear. This is, this is not an old actress playing an old we went, woman. <laughs> we went to the uppers for booze and boys. <laughs> and then do you know what I don't like? Is that she says. Sounds like, sounds like what happened to ba uh, baby Jane there. <laughs> I'm going to make some tea. Do you want tea? And then leaves before she gets Sarah's answer. Okay, bye. <laughs> it was pretty cute. This is clearly a, a very oh. lovey-dovey mom, uh, right? Yeah. Where she's like, and who am I? She's like, you're my whole world. My beautiful oh, yes. daughter, Sarah. A doctor. <laughs> I, I know. I was going to say, I love that. See, that's some good parenting. <laughs> so sweet. And it's like, it's one of those things that I think that some people would say, Something like it doesn't need to be said. They know I love them. I'm I'm their mom. Okay, whatever. Sure. But how good does it feel to be told, yeah, I you are my whole world. That's how much I love you. It it's never not worth saying, in my opinion. I know, and I think we're moving in a direction where there's that's more common. I think like mm. you know, even the the father son relationship is changing as we mm -hmm. move forward and. Yep. It used to be like parents were tough and, and not all of them and they weren't all the same, but they also felt like there was sometimes a need to be tough and, and there was there was a lot of benefit to that too. And, you know, people lived hard lives too. Like sometimes you do need to be really tough. So I can, I can see why it's it, you're conflicted anyway as a parent. Mm -hmm. Like you want to know, you want to feel like you're moving forward in the right way, you know, and that's hard to know. And I mean, you think about like our mom's parents, right? Like they lived through World War II. So exactly. They, they were probably yeah. kind of fucked up. <laughs> like, and, I well, mean, and, and it's like, what, what do you have time for? You know, people were working so hard or they were working long hours or they were doing these things. They were going through times where there wasn't a lot of food. They were going through wars, things like that. Yeah, maybe you don't have time to be the most present parent 
as even you might have wanted to. But then yeah. that generation raised people who yes. that was their reality. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it just goes like that. It's so interesting. Generational trauma, right? And, like, it's it's interesting of um, – it's it's very um, buzzword, but uh, the idea of, like, breaking mm-hmm. generational curses and that kind of thing. Right. And it's like, right. if yeah, if each generation – can add one or two things to their parenting repertoire in terms of being a good parent, then, you know, that's progress towards like a positive future. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, yeah, I think like everybody is kind of hopeful, at least when they can sit down and think about it. Mm. Everyone's hopeful to do at least as good as what they got and then Mm -hmm. to add things Mm -hmm. that they think might be better. And everyone's trying to do that, whether you had a fantastic upbringing as we did or not. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You're always thinking, well, how, what more could I do? And that doesn't mean that in the moment you're always thinking that way because it's so difficult, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, I agree. I think like at least it seems like Sarah and Mildred had a really nice relationship. And maybe Mm -hmm. that's one of the reasons it would be so hard to see her mind kind of go and that she doesn't have that all of a sudden. Not to say that it's tit for tat, but um, that's probably part of the reason that Sarah's being such care, like being such a wonderful caregiver to her mom in old age. She's caring for her by herself and living on a little tiny island that she would not otherwise be on. You know, at the expense yeah, of at the expense of probably like aspects of her career and her own personal life because she feels like mm-hmm. that's what her mom needs, right? Yeah, you're right. One of the cool parts that happens after she grills her mom and basically feels like mom passed the test, she's got her lucidity still, which she's probably thinking that like any day that could go away. Um, she has a, an, a vial of Aaron's blood and she puts it into one of those vial holders. Is there a word for those? Uh, probably, but I don't know what it is. It's like a plastic tray anyway, but it's in the sunlight and it starts to like boil and splutter until mm-hmm. the vial breaks which is like so cool. Mm -hmm. But I was wondering like, and I know this is not your area of nursing per Mm -hmm. se, and even nurses, they call the lab to get this stuff done, right? Mm -hmm. But would it be detrimental to the sample to have it sitting right in a beam of sunlight like that in the first place? I would think maybe. Yeah, probably. I don't know. You just figure like you probably have to try to be a little more protective of them. And not every not every blood lab place has like a beautiful picture window to set the blood in. Is in like a, a, a cute old character home? <laughs> yeah, probably most of them not. So, yeah, I, I just think like it's, it's nice to check in with she and her mom. But then also they're establishing like the blood science and all this weird stuff. So you're starting to get more clues about what's going on. I like their interactions and yeah that's definitely classic horror movie spooky blood exploding yes. is pretty horror yeah yeah or like a piece of electronics like goes crazy and then breaks yeah. or something right mm-hmm. riley goes over to aaron's house basically in the aftermath of yes. her finding out she doesn't have a baby right what did you think of these scenes well i was gonna say i i love some aspects of it this is where i wanted to talk a little bit about zach guilford's performance because when, yeah. when Aaron is talking about her mom and what she went through as a kid and then says, like, you know, like, Littlefoot saved me and now she's just gone. How is she just gone? And it cuts to him and he just, like, he's, te- like, tearful and just, like, his face, I watching her talk, it seems like he is, like, listening so well and... Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's listening so well and internalizing it and seems to really be empathizing understanding i'm like wow what a good listener but then and and his performance is wonderful 
then it's undercut because yes. then he goes into a monologue and doesn't respond to what she said. And so to me, I feel like the writing here undercut the performance. I'm like, because she's saying her stuff. He's like looking at her and he's crying for her. And then he says, I have this dream. And if, if I just bore my heart to someone and they responded with a story about a dream, I would be like, okay, so they didn't listen to a word I said. <laughs> right? That's what I would think. And, like, he kind of brings it around to saying, like, I think that you can do anything. I think, like, I think so much of you. And despite, I think what he, what it's supposed to be is that he's saying, despite this challenge you've had, I think you can do anything and that you've got a bright future. But it, that's not the way it sounds to me. I have a, a lot of um, room in my heart for these monologues, but here it gets a bit much. I, I agree with you. I thought it was kind of... Uh like a 90 degree turn when he launched into the, I have this dream, but I did like some of the stuff he was saying. And he was like, well, no, I see a future for you and all this. He said for me, no, I'm never going to come out of this. Things are too bad. And there's nothing. I, I see no future for myself. Right. I see one for you. You can do anything. Yeah. Right. And I thought that was a good example of the way so many of us think and, and why things like CBT can be so useful because you see the capabilities of someone else and you mm -hmm. think this person's this person's got a lot going for them even though things aren't good right now they can achieve a whole bunch but not me i couldn't mm -hmm. right and so i thought that was a good little highlight for them to make but i agree i found this scene a little world breaking because of the monologues and i agree i like the monologues it's just not the way people communicate yeah i like the monologues but they trade monologues and they're not communicating with each other. And they're also speaking in a way that's meant to sound poetic. And that kind of falls flat for me sometimes because it's just not the way people talk. And Aaron, like they both end up trading off on monologues about what they think happens after we die. Riley's, of, of course, is based on like little nuggets of science and things like that about brain death and body death. And he references DMT, which is really funny too. And then, and then Aaron goes on and she says, you know, this little one, she could only dream. She would just be dreaming a sweet little dream, blah, blah, blah. And then she wakes up in heaven and then God kisses her head and she grows up to be an adult immediately. And that's the way she stays. I'm like, what? But the, the good thing, the thing I did like about it is Riley is the type of atheist who doesn't attack somebody's mm -hmm. beliefs. Mm -hmm. You know, he's clearly got his own beliefs that he's pretty entrenched in and would be hard to shake from. But he said, I understand why people believe this stuff. I wish I could. Mm -hmm. And, you know, honestly, Aaron, I, and he said, and he said, I hope you're right. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that that's an important distinction that he says, I wish I could. I don't know. It, it's showing that he sees the value in it. Yes. And, and I, I feel like it shows a degree of respect to say that. It's just that he can't Me get too. there in his faith. His faith is not there. And that's, I, I, I like the way he expresses that. Yeah, I and I agree, and I think that that's a nice way to go about things because he he thinks that this is all a crock of shit, basically. But he doesn't think badly about Aaron for believing in it, right? And she even, like, kind of eggs him on and says, oh, you must think I'm naive. You must think I'm stupid. And he's like, no, no. Yeah. And then do you know what I really, really love is when she says, pray with me. And, and he, he does. Well, and the fact that he just says, yes. He doesn't say, fine, or okay he says yep 
I'll do it. And what did you what did you take from that? Did you think that that was because he knew she's in a really bad place and I just want to do anything I can to help? Like, is that the way you saw that? that that's the way I see it is just is just as like complete unwavering support for Aaron. Okay. And mm-hmm, Aaron is a religious person. This is what Aaron wants. So no, no doubt I'll do it. That's the way that I see it. I agree. It. I think he was just, he was, if she would have said, can you like do a little silly dance in circles? Cause it might make me laugh. He probably, w- he probably would have done it. Right. She says, can you pray? He says, how high? Exactly. Right? You say pray. I say how high. <laughs> they're just good friends. They're just good to each other. I agree with you. I think it's a purely supportive relationship. I love the way their relationship is represented in this. It's like aspirational in the way that they treat each other. <laughs> Like they just, yeah, they're very kind they to one another. They just treat each other well. And in, in difficult situations and in unique ways, but they just treat each other so well. And it's just nice to see. Yeah, you love to see it. And you never see them kiss or anything, you know? And yet they're the, like, mm-hmm. these two, you know, beautiful young they're actors. Kind of the, they're kind of the Jim and Pam of the whole thing, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then they begin to say the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, and... We cut to Paul saying, Father Paul saying the same prayer. He's looking up at a, a crucifixion, um, and he's having those stomach convulsions that you were that, talking that about, I right? Hate the, the hunger s- pains, yeah. The squelchy, wet hunger pains. Do you know what I've thought pangs. about about this a bit? Is that I think that wonderful performance from Hamish Linklater, right? Like it seems very, Agreed. very, um, and not in a bad way, very stagey and theatrical. It's like these mm-hmm. huge, like, oh, he's, you know, bent over these huge body movements. Didn't hold back. But do you know what I think is that it then later, when other people become vampires and we're supposed to think that they're having the same hunger pangs, but nobody else does that. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of in my head. I'm like, so is Father Paul just really wimpy? <laughs> like, and I don't feel like that's very fair to Hamish, Li- Hamish Linklater. I feel like it'd be the kind of thing that he might be like, wait, you guys didn't double over too? <laughs> I thought we were all supposed to be in agony here. You know what it would be like? It'd be like if you went to, to a Halloween party and you like did your whole Frodo thing with the cloak yeah. and the fake fuzzy feet and the little sword and, and you had a little like shaggy haircut and people went with like a headband with cat ears on it I to know. the party. You know what I mean? I was going to say it's like Mean Girls when uh, Lindsay Lohan yeah. shows up with like the scary corpse makeup and the teeth and, and everyone else is in cat ears. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I agree. That's really funny that you mentioned that. Now I'll be watching for that when it happens because I, I don't know if I noticed that first time around. But I agree. It's like Father Paul or uh, Hamish Linklater went 110% on the hunger yeah. pangs oh, for sure. Oh, he went 110%, 110% on everything. Like, even, like, when he's praying under his breath, when he's yelling, when he, like, he's, yeah. this whole yeah. next couple of episodes is big, big performance from him. And some of the other townsfolk are going to be like, I feel a little hungry. Do you feel hungry? Yeah, yeah like, my belly's rumbling. They're like, I could eat. <laughs> <laughs> I could eat some blood. Easy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so shout out to Hamish Linklater. I think he makes this show, frankly, like oh, yeah. he is the best part. He was the star, like he was the the most buzzworthy aspect of it in the um, immediate aftermath when people were watching it, and you know. Oh, for sure, for sure. That's why his face is the biggest on the uh, on the like cover frame. Top billing. Yeah, yeah, he's he's wonderful. He's having these awful uh, like stomach convulsions, oh. basically. They're really painful. And then when he um, uh, he breaks the skin of his hand by clutching his crucifix so hard uh, at the end yes. of his rosary, 
And then, do you think that it would even help to drink your own blood when you're a vampire? Clearly. Clearly, yeah, it, at least um, it, it gave him weird. something. He he pricks his hand, as Jenna said, and a little bit of blood comes out, and he starts to, like, lick it. And then he intentionally slices his palm yeah. open and, like, drinks of the blood <sighs> from his palm. And it heals up really quickly, too. Mm-hmm. So that was cool, like, kind of regenerative kind of health stuff that he's got going. But mm-hmm. it appeared to at least satiate him for the, the immediate moment, right? But I agree. I didn't think, like, could that really work? Mm-hmm. It's like Bear Grylls drinking his urine in the desert or something like it's not going to work for long you know what i mean yeah certainly so it, it's interesting they use the prayer thing as something to introduce a bunch of characters because mm-hmm. joe is also praying in front of uh, a beer display i yeah i really loved this interaction it's just i think that the sheriff maybe could have been a little bit nicer in the way that he went about it not that i think that he's being mean but it seemed almost like he was guilting him like by saying yeah like how's my night gonna be don't don't mess up my night but i I also understand that he's just checking in on joe yeah and and he uh, might not know joe is on this path to yeah improve the drinking right this is just such a a moment of real strength for joe he's right in front of a whole bunch of beer he could just buy and drink and no one would say boo because no one else except for riley and uh father paul even know that he's trying not to drink so no one else would even say a thing about it yeah he like argues with the alcohol like openly yeah, and outwardly says, fuck you to it and then and then leaves like it's great <laughs> yeah. and you can see that his his hands are tremulous as well exactly um, so i think that a lot of people would be uh familiar with maybe colloquially with the term dts around drinking mm-hmm. and so what that mm-hmm. stands for is uh delirium tremens oh okay and it's a uh it's a symptom of alcohol withdrawal and what's important to know about alcohol withdrawal is that it can actually kill you it's no minor thing i was gonna ask do you think that joe do you think that joe could be in like medical danger for this withdrawal that he's for this like abstinent kind of stance that he's taking yes if you are like a heavy daily drinker and you just stop Mm -hmm. yep it's very risky people get admitted for that and um yes right something called a siwa which is the scale that mm-hmm. we use to um monitor people's symptoms um, while withdrawing from alcohol and it corresponds to uh medications that we give mm-hmm. um and so for really extreme cases of um withdrawal <clears throat> withdrawal from alcohol um they get even iv um benzodiazepines um, wow. And then slightly lower down, they can get injected ones. And then lower down, they get pills. And that's uh, when they're on my unit, they're getting either an injection or pills and usually pills. Uh, and the reason that we take that uh, this scale so seriously is because, like I say, you can actually die um, from alcohol withdrawal. Um, wow. And typically that's because of, like, intractable seizures. Okay. So it's it's kind of, it's no small thing. Yeah, exactly. And and also, it's extremely uncomfortable. Extremely uncomfortable, uh, including, like, people even have hallucinations. They'll have uh, tactile hallucinations is really common. So, like, creepy crawlies, bugs on their skin. So it's one of those many, many things that can lend some insight to us as to why these things are so hard to quit. Yeah, absolutely. Ima- imagine you're going through such agonies when you try to do the, like, quote-unquote, good thing and be absent. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, to answer your question, Joe... If Joe is uh, the kind of drinker that I think that we're um, supposed to 
uh, appreciate him to be, then yeah, he's at medical mm-hmm. risk. Like he would probably be admitted. Yeah, yeah, for or sure. Maybe not admit. Like he could maybe do it in in the ER without being uh, admitted to hospital. But still, uh, he would need to be monitored closely. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I was wondering about that too. One thing that happens too, like there's a bunch of quick scenes in succession of each other. Um, Father Paul is experimenting with walking out into the open air. It's evening. So he walks out and he's kind of like pausing mm. and, and being careful, but he realizes that no sunlight, no pain. Um, and the first thing he does is he goes over to Mildred's house to give her her mass, right? Mm-hmm. And he tells Sarah, I'm sorry, I've been sick. I've been caught up in all this stuff, but I, I realized I owed your mother her mass, right? Mm-hmm. Or her communion. And I thought that that was sweet. But when he walks in, she does like a big gasp yeah. and she says, John, mm-hmm. right? Because she recognizes him as as Monsignor Pruitt. Yeah, and I love what a, like just another instance of like great performance from Hamish Linklater because mm-hmm. when he says I have so much to tell you and he's like he's giggling, like a kid, it is too sweet. I know I completely agree. They just seem like oh, it's just such like I don't know youthful energy and like such joy. Yeah. So it like just lends so much to this idea of like an elderly person made young again of like how he would express himself to a good friend like. No kidding. It's just wonderful. Like, he's so good. I know. It's pretty amazing, right? I I really like that scene, too. And who, you know, it's one of those things where you wonder, like, what, how much of it is intentional? How much of it is what we're reading out of it? But Mm it's just, like, such a great performance, for sure. For sure. So great. And, like, how you can imagine two old friends, it seems like reunited across, it might as well be an ocean, an ocean of time, how they would interact with each other, right? Yeah, I just loved it. I thought it was great. great. And I knew you would love that. Yeah, I have so much to tell you. I know it's too cute. I love I, I love the sentimental. I love the cute. Uh, yeah, it was just like when Ed put on that Neil Diamond record and danced with Annie. I was like, oh, can't wait to talk to Jenna about this one. Yeah. It's actually after that that, that Aaron and, and Riley go through their idea of what the afterlife is. But a couple more mm-hmm. monologues. But soon after... We're back at Father uh, Paul's home, mm-hmm. and he's he's praying. He's again really struggling with the hunger pangs for the blood. They're debilitating him. Do you think this is like um, just a bit more of the alcoholism addiction allegory, yeah. basically? I think yeah, so. Yeah, me too. You know, he's having a lot of physical symptoms mm-hmm. from his body's demand for this blood that he's yeah. been taking. And even right? when, when Joe witnesses it, he says, I've been there. yeah exactly good point so after paul goes out and screams where are you to the angel who Mm -hmm. hasn't come around in a while he's too busy eating cats and eating bowl and yeah exactly the cats the the angel's like i'm off doing my thing yeah he doesn't care he Um, doesn't care because father paul's out of blood so he does try to drink some wine instead which is right when joe collie walks in Mm -hmm. right So Joe Cauley sees Father downing this huge jug of wine, and he's like, oh. Yeah, he's like, sorry, Father, you told me to come sorry if to I just, needed you, oh. and I'm having a hard time. I thought that was that was so sad because mm-hmm. he said, well, you know, I had a hard day, but I didn't drink. And and yeah. you told me if I was having a hard day that yeah. I should come down here. Like, he's like a little kid. I was like, oh, my God, poor Joe. Uh, it's, it's so touching. Like, and Joe and Riley are such interesting characters because – uh, the community views Father Paul as, uh, mm-hmm. you know, this just, like, great, very virtuous guy. 
Meanwhile, here are Joe and Riley, who have hurt people in the past, but are now trying desperately not to hurt people. They are trying so hard not to hurt people. And here is, uh, you know, Father Paul, who thinks very Mm -hmm. highly of himself and thinks he's very righteous and very virtuous. And he is making excuses for why him hurting people is actually not bad. Yeah, and he's about to be the undoing of a whole town. He's about to be, yes. And I mean, even, yeah. I just feel like it's so interesting, and it's like, who's the who is the good person here? Is it the person who That's ha- a good point. hasn't done a big bad thing, but isn't doing uh, very virtuous things now? Or is it the person who has done a horrible thing, but is trying to do better, and currently isn't hurting anyone? And it, it, it's interesting to me. You're right. Do you look at Father Paul as self-righteous? Like, do you think yeah, he's sanctimonious? I, I think he is. Yeah. I, I think he's super likable. But yes, I think that he is okay. self-righteous. I think he thinks a lot of okay. himself. Because he's willing to take every, everything that Bev says about how he's basically Jesus. He's just like, yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you're he's right. He's like, Bev. yeah, I guess you're right, Bev. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. that's true. <laughs> he's totally willing to believe his own hype, I think. But yeah, so here's Joe coming to get support of his priest. Mm-hmm. As, as he was asked to do. As he was asked to do, and while he's going through an extremely difficult journey with uh, trying not to drink after years and years of drinking, comes in here and F- Father Paul is trying to kind of compose himself after how he's been. And uh, they, they talk a little bit about, oh yeah, this is uncanny. You look just like this photo, like everyone seems <laughs> to be kind of remembering. I know. And then he yeah. pulls Joe into this... Hug, hug which joe was reluctant to do to begin with but then it's more or less trying to be a nice guy and even as the hug gets extremely <laughs> uncomfortable he's still like okay i'm gonna go i'm gonna go home i'm gonna go home okay <laughs> trying to get out he's of like it. patting him on the back yeah. and stuff to be like because because father paul is not releasing the hug he's, won't release he's holding hug. it too long he's holding it too tight and he's right? like smelling his neck <laughs> and then eventually joe's like what the hell is wrong with you <laughs> Rightfully so. And it doesn't seem very likely to me that you would get the corner of a coffee table right to your, like, brain stem like he does here. But that's what happens to poor Joe when he falls over. Yeah, he falls, cracks his head or his neck somehow. Huge pool of blood on the floor underneath him. And he's kind of, like, shuddering and jittering. And then Father Paul first, like, licks from the pool of blood. Almost like a detective would do in a movie (laughs) to determine the person was dead. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. This is this dead person's blood. And then he just starts like slurping up the puddle, and then in a really quick kind of cut too, we then see he's like drinking right out of, out of Joe's like hole. dying head. Oh god! Great, very horror. I loved it. Very horror. Very. Poor Joe is like, you wonder how much he's fucked up from the head injury, but he seems to be perceiving what's happening, right? Like his eyes and are seems open, horrified, and he's following what. Yeah, what Father uh, Paul is doing. Yeah, just, like, great, wonderful. Great scene. Well-earned. Super scary. Super gross. No notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And you know what was fun? One of the funny things and interesting, too, because this scene introduces a couple of clues. Before that had happened, again, Joe is looking at this picture of Monsignor mm. Pruitt, as you had mentioned, and he said that there was a rumor that mm. he wasn't exactly always celibate, which I thought was so interesting, right? Laying some groundwork. Yeah, and a, a little throwaway line, but yeah, so good. 
this is like a just a pure vampire scene. It's cool, like he's drinking like crazy from this blood. No like detracting fangs no. or like you know um, that sort of thing. So it's got some of the classic vampire stuff, and it leaves some behind, mm-hmm. right? He's also not listening to organ music in a castle and saying <laughs> the children of the night what music they make. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he does not wear a cape. <laughs> well, maybe he does sometimes. I guess he wears something relatively close yeah, to Charles. Riley, we we find out after that scene, spent the night at Aaron's. They're mm-hmm. sleeping in bed together. Um, he wakes up and tells her his dream was different because this time Aaron was in the boat with him. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a nice little metaphor there. It's like he feels like finally he's got someone who sees him and is with him. She's Again, she's not fixing anything, but she's there and she knows what he's going through. He knows what she's going through and they're connected. And they're just there together. His dad doesn't understand him clearly from his, mm-hmm. his piss poor apology on Neither the boat. Neither does his mom. His mom doesn't understand him because she wants to be saccharine and who could blame her, mm-hmm. right? Um, so now he's got someone right in the middle of that who gets him and sees him, right? So I think that that's a really cute reason that she's in the boat with him, I think. But then also it's, it's also foreshadowing, right? Because mm-hmm. indeed that happens. It's, uh, it's all good, except that I, I hate dream stuff in movies anyway, and because yeah. dreams aren't like that. Dreams aren't <laughs> like that. You, they're, they're all some weird. Some dreams are. Sometimes. <laughs> some people have, I think, I think some people have more, co- more coherent dreams than I do. Do you think so? You I know think what I mean? that dreams are always a, a mishmash of like, <laughs> okay, so it would, be, it would be like, okay, I was in a boat in the sunrise, but I, I didn't have my own voice. I had, you know, Weird yeah. Al's voice, and... I wasn't wearing shoes, but there were shoes. You know, it, it would be like well, so and much this weirder. time I wasn't. This time I wasn't playing chess against Albert Einstein on my own. You were there, you were, and you, you were helping were, me. And you were the queen. Uh, uh, you were on the chessboard. <laughs> like it would be. They're all weirder than that, you know. Yes, those would be my dreams. That's for sure. When I remember them, I often don't. So it's like, yeah, when people are like dream therapists or, or dream scientists, <laughs> yes. and like they want to take meaning. They want to take meaning from dreams. I'm like, oh, my dreams are ridiculous. <laughs> I don't think they have any coherent meaning at all. I had a dream last night that I was conducting a train, but the train was going backwards, and I just had to, like, check back every now and then to make sure I was still, like, doing okay and still on the track, and I just, like, was doing fine, and I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, good for me. I'm pretty good at this backwards. Okay, so being on the track is probably meaningful. You're on a track that you can't get off of. And I'm doing and it And you're backwards. not really in control. And you're doing it, you're regressing. You're regressing in something that you should, that has been your path, but you're falling, you're, you're having a backslip now. And there was a German guy there, so go ahead and try to work that in too. Oh, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> of course. The, the... <laughs> Wait a minute, you didn't say German, did you? Was he from Berlin or Dusseldorf? blows the lid off the whole thing it's like <laughs> yeah you could read a lot into these things if you want to do some reading no question <laughs> we get a really interesting scene from hassan and ali too so what did you think about that they've already argued about it but this is the first time clearly that ali is gonna go to the catholic church mm-hmm. on the island mm-hmm. and uh he says like oh yeah it's sad because he says we've all like 
I, I have no no problem with you trying to search for God, but we've already found him. Like, we've got him. And trying to be like you and I. And Ali still says, thanks for accepting it. I'm going to church. And no. I do think, like, I could see Hassan's struggle, obviously. Yeah. And I, I want to empathize so much with him. But again, I come back to, like, but you're the parent. So you got to, like, let your kid figure stuff out for himself. And it would be nice if he was doing it without the guilt trip. But that would be, like, perfect parenting and there's Fair no enough. such thing, right? Fair enough. Yeah, I think he's struggling, yeah. right? And he's struggling. he probably feels like he's losing a Lee too. Yeah. And it, they're all one so another. So it's has. loaded. So so, so heartbreaking. Oh, God. Yeah. God I, damn this, you, Mike Flanagan. This show, right? Oh, it's so sad. <laughs> and yeah, Ali's going to the going to the church. Just trying to figure himself out. Just a young man. Yep. Ned he hears a lot of interesting things are happening yeah. down at yeah. the church. Cool stuff is happening at the church. And he's like, and they do it at night now? It's so neat. Yeah, and so as they're as they're there, everyone's kind of sitting, waiting, and looking back at each other, looking around, because clearly mass is really late to start. Mm-hmm. Right? And Bev, of course, takes it on herself. She she rushes mm-hmm. out to Father Paul's little home. And what did you think about these scenes? Just like Bev sucks so bad. She's just such a bad person. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what I was hoping you'd say. Well, because she, like, just looks at the corpse of Joe Colley. Joe. Yeah, after what what could, at first blush, you think is definitely a murder. So. Oh, yeah. You look at the corpse of this person that you've known your whole life, and you just think, how am I going to make this okay? Like, you don't think about what the terrible thing has happened. You just think, okay, how am I going to fix this for Father Paul? And I think it's she I, goes over to Father Paul and he's caked in blood. Yeah. Right? And she's saying, Okay, okay. Like she's mm-hmm. she's already in PR mode basically. She's like, You don't need to explain this to me. We need to get you cleaned up for church. I mean, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Right? He's already half an hour late for mass. And he's covered, he's in, covered blood. in dried blood from his lips down to his waist. Mm-hmm. And she's just immediately like, Okay, we'll just breeze by this. I think it's because she looks at him at this point having A, done the miracle, B, been resurrected. She basically looks at him as like a holy apparition. Yeah, like beyond So reproach. anything Paul says is God's word, yeah. basically. Yes. Right? Yeah, so she doesn't She doesn't think he could do anything wrong. That's why I think that he is ah. self-righteous because he's like, yep, okay. you're right. He's like, you know what, Bev? You get me. Yeah, you, you get me. And, and I think it's really despicable her saying, mm-hmm. you don't feel guilty, do you? Well, that must mean it's because it wasn't a bad thing. Like, maybe that means it's because you're not a good guy. <laughs> maybe you should feel guilty. And that comes a little more later, too, because they do revisit here. But for the time mm-hmm. being, what she eventually decides is like, okay, she goes back to the mass. And all of a sudden, the ever bridesmaid is the bride because she gets to go to the front and say mm-hmm. how the mass is going <laughs> to proceed, right? So she asks Mrs. Scarborough to sing. She says, oh, I think we'll do a little bit of this today. We'll do a little bit of that today. And she's like, now Bev is at the pulpit. <laughs> Here in Bev's chapel now. I've got you for three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Three-minute math. Like bone saw, but Bev. Bev is ready. Bev saw is ready. <laughs> Nice Sam Raimi Spider-Man reference, too. We're on a roll here. Thank you. Thank you. I got you for three minutes. Three minutes of bleak time. And then, uh, (laughs) yes, and then after 
Um, she invites Dolly up to sing. She goes back to try to solve some of the things and brings Sturge and Wade with her, who are like mm-hmm. her henchmen slash Father Paul's apostles at this point. It's very interesting. This little like uh, this little like crime family that develops, I think, is neat. Uh, just, yeah, like, that is cool. The people who are the most fa- most faithful and the people who have witnessed the miracles. So it's it's just really interesting. Um, and yeah, so the the conclusion that she comes to is that what Father Paul has done can't be wrong because he doesn't feel guilty about it. And that that means that, oh, it must be God's will and that he has given you the gift of not feeling guilty for that reason because it was actually correct. Mm-hmm. It was actually morally right. And I just think, like, what a nasty, twisty, turny, despicable thing conclusion to come to. Oh, she's disgusting. I think it's disgusting. She's disgusting in this scene. You're right, because she, A, she wants Wade and Sturge to wrap Joe's body up and in a carpet. And saying it. I'm not saying and him. Dump it in the, and dump it in the ocean. Yeah. Right? And then also, you know, Wade is like, what did you do to Father Paul? And she slaps him for questioning Father Paul in the first place. Mm-hmm. And she, she uses a, a Bible verse about those questioning the priests should die. And then I just thought it was disgusting. She values Joe's life so, so cheaply. little, yeah. Right? That it's like, that was hard for me to hear. And and he's like, this is Joe Cauley laying here. This is our, like a community member, says says Wade, basically. And she's like. Whose daughter was near, like was yes. mortally wounded by him. And he 100%. values Joe Cauley more than Bev does. Yeah, and she says, "You're right. This is just Joe Colley. This oh. is the person who put your put your daughter in that wheelchair. This is the she's doing everything she can to have them minimize any feelings about Joe. Mm-hmm. And I think just like what a sad end for Joe. Horrible. And and you know just I mean? as he's trying, he's trying to to fix yeah. things. He's been forgiven by Lisa. He's trying to turn his life around, and he gets eaten. And it's people saying, yeah, good.'" Yeah. Good for I know, it, and exactly. it's not a bad thing. Yeah, it's disgusting. It's totally disgusting, and I think that he's sitting up in heaven looking down at that. Well, and also, she she says that well, the God she says God moved in Father Paul to hmm. do this to Joe Colley. Mm-hmm. It's like even if you think that this is a miracle, man, murder is one of the Ten Commandments: Thou shalt not do it, mm-hmm. and that's it. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, if he did it, there must be a, a holy reason, yeah, right. And she says. God killed all these people in in Egypt. He killed all the firstborn sons. Like she's willing to do anything mm-hmm. to make the connections, and she's willing to beat people with the scripture lines in order to make it all fit. And that's so scary. Oh yeah, it, it, this is just so despicable. I, this is a completely grotesque display. And what did you think? Like, like this is to your point too, because before I thought Paul. Father Paul was a measured guy. He was he was willing to meet people where they're at, and he was very um, convicted. He he had a lot of convictions that were strong, mm-hmm. but he didn't kind of push people around with them. And so I thought he actually was skilled at talking to Riley, despite their worldview being totally different. But I think you're right. They're presenting him in a much different way as he moves along, because she asks him, "Yeah, is your conscience heavy because you killed Joe?" And he says, "No, it's not." Mm-hmm. right do you know what i think it is i think it's when mm-hmm. push t- comes to shove and mm-hmm. when things get hard this is his true colors i think that it was easy enough for him to be measured and be kind in those interactions yeah. because there, it was 
there were no consequences on on either side in either direction right but now when it's like you could admit what you've done and maybe you know volunteer yourself to the sheriff and said that i i hurt joe yep. whatever you could do that but that would obviously mm-hmm. be a very difficult decision yeah right he kind of falls apart under scrutiny and under yeah, difficult think, circumstances I just think, right yeah it's, it's easy to be a good person when there's no consequences and like to be accountable doesn't cost you anything sure true you're and right here, here it is that no to be accountable would cost him everything and so he's not willing to do that yeah you're right you're right you know what else was a really disgusting thing that Bev did too? Mm. She goes up to Wade and she says, basically, you can't question the parables if they're, you can't only cherry pick and take the good parables and the bad ones. And if you want to do that and you want to, you know, blame or criticize Father Paul for doing this, then you should sit your daughter back in that chair and reject the miracle that happened. And it's like, that is disgusting. Yeah. Like, it's just a father who's happy that his daughter can walk. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that he's okay with people eating someone's brains out. Like, it's ridiculous. And to weaponize that and make it seem as if it, if Wade, oh. it's like, if you don't do this, that's as good as You're you right. re-injuring your daughter, basically. Jeez, like, she's so manipulative. She's, it's yeah, gross. She's just revolting. Great performance, Samantha. I think she believes it. Right. But she's been so fooled Mm -hmm. by what's going on that she's talking absolute nonsense. Plus, she was ready to be radicalized at any point, even before then. I think that she's just glad that something has come around that seems to, like, vindicate the way that she's lived her life. True. Yeah, that has been she's been waiting for it to happen. Yeah. Like, oh, finally, there's like something happening to uh, to pay me back for all this, you know, modest dressing I've been doing. (laughs) She has been doing that. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's awful. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, they keep it moving again, though, because uh, we see we see Aaron at the mainland doctor, right? Mm. And the mainland doctor with all her fancy computers <laughs> and all these things basically tells Aaron there's no evidence she was ever pregnant. Yeah, I think not great bedside manner here. To go, uh, to go instantly to, why don't we have you talk to someone from our psych department <laughs> is very, very laughable. Well, it's not, and she's not the first person to do it because Sarah tried to suggest the same thing, mm-hmm. right? So talk about crazy making, quote unquote, because I don't like that term, but they literally are thinking that she's having some kind of break from reality because of all these things that she's thinking. And right? like, it, it, they didn't even try to check. Yeah, let's talk to your doctor. <laughs> you say that your doctor has done ultrasounds on you for that last five months. Let's talk They're to like, her. I don't think so. Yeah, it's like, um, no, please. Like, yeah. Well, and especially because Sarah referred her, saying this person had a miscarriage. <laughs> and they're like, did she, though? Do you have any evidence of that? Like, oh, okay, you referred her to OB, sure. I'm going to call psych. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor Aaron. But it's like, it's again confirmed. Yep, no baby. Even with the mainland's technology, they can't <laughs> detect the baby. She goes back to the mainland all confused for sure and uh she's expecting to see riley that night uh because that's so okay. that's something that they established that morning is that he'll come back that night right. and he and he didn't leave it up in the air he said yes i will but i think the next like important scene will be that uh they're having another meeting another aa meeting and there's an mm-hmm. empty chair where joe should be riley is like so he takes it feels it personally to not see mm-hmm, Joe mm-hmm. there, he feels so... He's disappointed. And and so sad for him. He's like, oh, no, please right. don't tell me Joe fell off the 
fell off the wagon because Father Paul seems to know that Joe's not going to come and he says, please don't tell me. Because it, mm-hmm. I think it would just really hurt him to uh, to see Joe go through that. And then uh, Father Paul trying to reassure him says, no, I actually saw him today. Saw him yesterday. He was very proud of himself uh, for not having been drinking. He was actually doing really well. And now he's mm-hmm. visiting his sister on the mainland. And to Riley, like, so Father Paul doesn't think that that would twig Riley at all, but it does because we know from a previous scene that um, Joe told him that very yeah. recently his sister died. I think he said like six weeks ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. So then Riley is suspicious, but they kind of make their way through the rest of the meeting. And then Riley's going, like, leaves and is going to Aaron's house. I think he stopped at home first. I remember him talking to Annie after dinner. Yeah, yeah, he stopped at home and he did speak to his mom. And he's kind of encouraging her to be careful around Father Paul, yes, right? Yes, because uh, Father Paul lied. And she's, like, obviously not hearing any of it. Yeah. And, well, and she she says, too, she says, um, here that God is not asking you to believe blindly, to have blind faith. All he's asking you to do mm. is look, is look around right. at what's happening. Because she, she wants him to be back in the faith. I think that she would find that um, a point of connection for them. Um, but then he says, yep. yeah, that Father Paul's been lying. And during this time, we see Father Paul is pacing around the uh, rec center waiting for the angel to come. Mm-hmm. Um, and then <laughs> the angel does come, dressed in his uh, cool trench coat and hat. And what do you think? What do you think of the like bassy, like boom sound that comes whenever you see the angel? Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I think it's a good cue. I love it. Yeah, I and think it's, it's a good it's cue. It's scary, and it's like it's almost like feels like um, the auditory like equivalent of like a stomach drop, and it's scary. Yeah, me it's too. scary to me. It's very effective. And cues are really cool like that. Like yeah. it's like a Pavlov Pavlovian thing, mm-hmm. right? Like. You, you get these little um, things that are always present that put you in a certain mindset. And there are little string stabs all through Midnight Mass that's like, mm-hmm. it's like a little like cello thing or something that uh, they, they just, I think they do more to cue you to see a certain thing or feel a certain way than we even realize. So mm-hmm. I think it's pretty neat. And I like when people talk about the language of cinema as a thing. And I, I think that yeah. that's part of it. 100%. So, yeah, he comes in, and Father Paul's like, oh, my God, thank God you're finally here because he's desperate for the blood. And mm-hmm. and I like the combination of, like, CGI and costuming that they do for the angel, too, because he, yeah. go, he goes up to the table and, like, cuts his wrist and takes off the top of the decanter and all this stuff. And, like, the super long clawed fingers, I feel like, look really good. To me, yes. to me it seems obvious that that's not CGI, that that's, like, costuming, and it looks great. Even to see them in motion, mm-hmm. even grabbing stuff, looks really good. For sure. Um, and so he's doing all that. And then so we see Riley is going by Aaron's house, about to stop and go in. And so obviously, like, in the audience is one of those classic horror movie things where you're like... Don't go in there. Yeah, try, well, but you're saying, do go in there. Do <laughs> yeah. go into Aaron's house and just, like, curl up with Aaron and monologue at each other oh. and wake up tomorrow, yeah. right? Like <laughs> Monologue. He has this nagging feeling and he can't uh, can't ignore it. And so he goes back yeah. to the rec center, opens the door, sees Paul first on the ground. Like Paul's like curled up like a, like a beetle on the ground. And Paul looks mm-hmm. up at him and goes like, oh no. And because he kind of knows what's going to happen. And pretty much instantly uh, the, the angel turns around as well and mm-hmm. flies across the room at Riley and gets him. And so we we end the episode with like basically the the dying 
rattle, the death rattle of Riley and these horrible scuffling sounds from the angel. Yeah, and so how how did you feel about the way that that scene kind of, how did you feel about the ending of this episode? Scary, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good horror fair. Yeah. Although it, although it really hurts to see that happening That's so to Riley. Sad. It's so sad to poor Riley. Yeah. And I can't remember when it's jumping across at him, do we see the wings? Um, it's so fast. I think that it's yeah. I think that it's more like he can also like just jump super strong. Right. He's just super strong. <laughs> he could jump strong. Yeah. yeah. He's a strong jumper. But I wonder I think that his his wings are probably all up under the trench coat. They're all up under the trench coat. Yeah. I think you're right. But then, yeah, because eventually we see them in their full glory, and that's a really impactful scene too. Not mm-hmm. in this episode, no, but I in the it. future, right? I have to say, I think that the way that they represent this creature is really well done. I, love it. I think that the whole series could have been made or broken on it, you know, because uh, again, a vampire is just something we're so classically familiar with mm-hmm. as horror fans. Um, and there's so many like tropes that go along with it and it can result in, in anything related to it being almost a little silly seeming or a little camp. And so I agree. I really like the look of this particular, uh, vampire. And I think it, it kind of really helped for the, the whole series to be pulled off in the way it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like the way he looks. <laughs> I, uh, I like the monster design. What do you think the angel thinks about uh, the fact, or what do you think the vampire thinks about the fact that Father Paul thinks he's an angel and is getting him to do all this stuff? Like, oh, pour your blood into this decanter. What do you think the vampire's thinking? I think that he basically feels, I almost got the impression that he felt like an indifference, that Paul's concerns are like quibbles to him Mm -hmm. and he doesn't have any concern about them. And he's more using Paul as a pawn to make things happen. But with that being said, I don't know why he would be interested in sharing his his blood then. He's in the town. He can go anywhere he wants. Um, He can definitely feed on people and and do everything he needs. So I don't know if there'd be an advantage to him Mm -hmm. in growing his ranks Mm -hmm. or not. But it's an interesting question. You know what? I guess there must be because they, they also have to keep him safe in a way because he needs to have somewhere to stay during the day. And, you know, to make sure that he doesn't get uh, sunlight burned and stuff like that. But I look at it as uh, he's just like, yeah, if you want to call me an angel, go for it. If it'll be a means to an (laughs) end, sure. I think that he doesn't care. But it's interesting, too, because you think that he must understand English? They must be communicating with each other. I'm thinking he... I'm thinking he does because they were able to kind of almost come up with a plan together. And so I'm thinking, like... He can understand English. He can't speak it. Yeah, I know? think so too. But um, <laughs> I like that they don't go into it. I don't care. They don't have to go into it. No, I don't care either. Yeah. <laughs> I would want to know that if I laid it all out, I could connect the dots, but I don't care. Yeah, yeah, same. And I, yeah. You know what I mean? I can make sense of it with what I think would be logical within the story's world. And that's enough. Me too. So any final thoughts on this episode? Oh... <sighs> Well, I can tell you that when we've been rewatching this series for mm-hmm. this series of podcasts, I was initially watching them one at a time. And then I think that this episode mm-hmm. is the one where I just started to like binge it again. I just wanted to see <laughs> to see every next thing. Yeah. 
So I had to, that's why I had to rewatch it. Like, so this is now for the third time because I was like, okay, wait, I couldn't remember where one episode began and another <laughs> ended because I started to binge them. For sure. So I had to like check on that, but great episode. And I, it just mostly makes me really excited for what comes next. I know, same. I'm like, I'm in the middle now where I'm like, all the groundwork's laid. I am excited for when things start to really take off again. And they did. We watched Father Paul you know do what he did to joe and that was like that was the furthest into that camp that we've gotten but it just keeps going and that's what i'm really excited for but i agree great episode um i felt it stalled in the middle a bit and Mm. the monologues were partially to Mm. blame yeah but i agree if it's a good monologue i'm here for it and i and i like it these ones might have just not not been my favorite ones yeah and when it's supposed to be two people talking to each other it just doesn't ring true because that's not how people talk to each other (laughs) <laughs> no, you'd be like, oh, not having that guy around again. He was, he just waxed on and on and yeah. on without stopping. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, let me tell you this horrible, sad story about my miscarriage. I have this dream. Or my dream. Yeah. I have this dream <laughs> yeah, where I'm exactly. in a boat at sunrise. Be like, oh, man, that was so crazy what you were saying about your miscarriage. It's just making me think right now about this unrelated dream that yeah. I have. <laughs> But he was probably already four or five, damn, that's crazies, into the conversation. What else was he going to do? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, we really appreciate you guys coming along for this episode again. Um, you know, we, we're really loving going back through this series, and we have some exciting things coming up. We'll have some movie episodes ready for you guys uh, soon here, too. Another guest. Um, so any final words, Jenna? Final words? Merry Christmas. Ah, yes. Merry Christmas, guys. Happy holidays. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.